This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. I'd like to call your attention today to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. And if you find it, would you please stand? Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dog, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest thou trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... uh... We come to you again this morning in the name of Jesus. And certainly, Lord, just as Michael was singing, we we need you. Not only every hour, but every every second, every every moment. Lord, we need you now asking uh, for this uh, time together and uh, study that you would grant that your word be delivered uh, faithfully with accuracy and clarity. I ask that You enable me to speak and I ask that You enable all of us to hear what You are saying. And we thank You for revelation given to us that we may know You and that we may know and live Your will. Again, we ask, Lord, uh, grant that Your Word be spoken for the edification of Your people, for the salvation of any that may be in this room today and uh, not know You in truth, and ultimately for Your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can be seated. <clears throat> thank you, David. <clears throat> thank you, Michael. Great song. Appreciate that. <clears throat> we uh, in our in our going through the Sermon on the Mount here in chapter five, we've seen. The character of the kingdom heirs as described by our Lord in the Beatitudes. We saw that we are to have a profound effect upon this world as salt and light. We heard Jesus' comparison of the righteousness, quote-unquote, of the hypocrites with the true righteousness of His kingdom. 
some of which is in uh, Matthew 5:48 in his uh, in his command to his followers. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In chapter six, we looked at how this works out in the life of the believer in rightly motivated acts of righteousness or deeds, such as examples that Jesus gave, giving to those in need and prayer and fasting. Great insight in those passages into three very important aspects of the Christian life. How the Christian relates to others in giving, how the Christian communes with God in prayer, and thirdly, how the Christian deals with himself in fasting. And we saw how genuine trust in our Father eliminates all anxiety. Kingdom heirs do not value and seek after the same things that the world values and seeks after. We must be kingdom focused. Our priority is to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All else is at best secondary. We are consumed with Christ. So the Christian man or woman thinks differently. That's what Jesus has been showing us, telling us, than people of the world. We have a different mind, our our mindset, our worldview. Now when I say mind, I'm not just talking strictly in terms of uh, uh, the intellectual, uh, although that's certainly part of it. But it goes deeper than that. That is, our, our mind, our thinking is controlled by our very nature. Our nature governs how we view things. And uh, as we've talked about several times over the course of this study, we have been given a new nature by the work of the Holy Spirit. Born again, regenerated which is what makes all these things possible. It's what works all these things in us, the power of God. And now, in chapter 7, um, we continue still in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with a section on, uh, again, how a Christian thinks, this time specifically in terms of judgment. It's put in various ways here. And we're going to start this morning just again in these first six verses that David just read. Um, We're going to start with what I would call uh, the most widely quoted verse of the Bible. I haven't done a scientific survey, so I can't give you uh, statistics to bear that out. (laughs) But just, just from my own experience and from what I've heard others say as well, I think by far... Chapter 7, verse 1 is the most widely quoted verse in the Bible. And I say that, and I know some people would say, well, what about John 3.16? I don't think most people can quote John 3.16 for you. They may recognize it when you quote it. Um, I'm not sure that, well, probably most Christians can quote John 3.16, but I don't know about the world. But but I've been in several encounters with uh, lost people who are basically ignorant of the Word of God and yet uh, can quote 
Matthew 7, 1. I don't recall any of them ever giving me the reference. I don't think they probably don't usually know where it's found. But they know that it's there somewhere, or at least they've heard that it's there. Judge not that you be not judged. So that's, that's where we start this morning. Jesus talking to his followers about judgment. Should Christians judge? Now, this is one of those places. If, if you take the passage itself, just at the surface level, it, it appears to rule out all forms of judgment. Judge not that you be not judged. Simple enough, isn't it? You take that one, that one phrase, that one verse by itself, then you would say, um, this is a prohibition concerning judgment. Christians cannot judge. And that's the way the world wants us to interpret this passage. So I'm going to start by just asking the question, is that what Jesus is saying? Is this really a strict prohibition against all judgment, judgment for the Christian? Well, my answer to that, and I'm going to have to play that out for you a little bit here, but my answer to that is no. Uh, there is a, a way to understand what he means by judgment here. And I go back to... Uh, uh, the rule that I've uh, mentioned several times, context, context, context will help us determine the meaning of uh, what Jesus is, is saying here. For example, we would ask, does, does the Bible as a whole, the context of the whole Bible, teach that we are to not judge at all, period? I think the answer to that is no. What about the immediate context? What about this sermon, the very sermon where Jesus says, judge not? Is there uh, anything in that immediate context that would indicate uh, that He is saying we should not judge at all, period? And I, I think the answer again is, is no. In fact, I, I would, I'll show you it's quite to the contrary. So, let me, let me tell you what I think He is saying first, and then we'll look at some of that. Uh, what is he saying then? Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Well, a couple of things we need to consider here, and one I just mentioned is context. If we want to understand what the word judge means, then we have to look at the context. And as I said, the context of the whole Bible and also the immediate context. The other thing is this, we have to, um, we have to consider uh, the nuances of this particular word. In other words, does it have different meanings in different places, different uh, color to its meaning, I could say, different nuances. And, and yes, I think so. In other words, sometimes it just means judge, period. But sometimes it means um, in a condemning manner. Condemnation. There's a related word used in Romans 8.1 that, that carries that meaning. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No Final thumbs down judgment. No eternal condemnation is what that amounts to. So I'm going to suggest here what Jesus is talking about uh, is, is not judging, period. Not discerning, not, not making a call, is something right or wrong, and so forth. But he's talking about being judgmental, the way we would say it, or uh, hypercritical. Um, condemning. Don't be judgmental toward other people or else 
um, you'll be judged in that manner yourself. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, again, um, let me just give you a little bit of the context to suggest that there are forms of judgment that are appropriate. For example, verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give... And boy, this is, this is a tough verse. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And, I'm, and I, incidentally, just so you know, I'm reading from the, uh, the ESV, English Standard Version. Sometimes uh, I read... Uh, I go back and forth sometimes, so I'm just trying to let you know. Uh, usually I'm, I'm using the New King James uh, this is the ESV rendering. Do not give dogs what is holy. Now there Jesus is discerning or discriminating between different individuals based on who they are, their character and so forth. But here's, here's the thing. We have to ask ourselves, in order to obey what Jesus says here, does it call for discernment on our part? If he says, do not give dogs what is holy, then doesn't that suggest that we have to be able to identify a dog or a swine, a pig? So it calls for judgment in, in, this, very, in this very context. So he cannot, it cannot be, verse 1, cannot be a strict prohibition against all judgment. Again, verse 15. We are warned against false prophets. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Calls for discernment. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says. You're, you're going to have to discern. You're going to have to learn to recognize the good and the bad. Good trees don't bear bad fruit. Bad trees don't bear good fruit. Beware calls for discernment. So, verse 1 is not a strict prohibition against all forms of judgment. That's why I suggest a, a, an acceptable paraphrase would be don't be judged mental or hypercritical. Judge not that you be not judged. The uh, just a little more uh, idea of what's saying here from the ESV study Bible. Judge not forbids pronouncing another person guilty before God, for with judgment you pronounce for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. Undue harshness, again a way of saying judgmental Undue harshness and a judgmental attitude toward others will result in being treated in much the same way by God. So Jesus does not deny all evaluation. He, invi- he does prohibit uh, harshness, judgmental um, attitude. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, there's the rest of the warning. So, Jesus is saying, again, paraphrase, you treat each other with mercy, you, you, you do discern, 
But you do so mercifully because you want to treat others the way that you want to be treated. You want to be dealt with in mercy, you deal with others in mercy. You don't be judgmental because you don't want to be um, dealt with in that way. Let me just give you a couple of parallel passages again in the immediate, in the immediate context. Uh, chapter 5, 21 and 27. I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So Jesus is saying there, there are consequences for um, being harsh, for being judgmental. In His teaching on the, on the, uh, the model prayer, chapter 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So again, it's characteristic of the kingdom heirs, children of God, saved people, to be merciful rather than judgmental. Why is that? Why, why, does, that, why does that seem to be a, 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 a necessity? Why does it seem to be a, a, an essential characteristic? Because we've been dealt with by God in mercy. Because, again, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> only, only promises of hope and blessing and acceptance. God deals with us in mercy. And so that's how the kingdom heir deals with other people. And secondly, do not be hypocritical. Verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jordan asked me the other night, uh, looking at this passage, what's, what's a hypocrite? And it's, it's a pretender. Somebody who pretends to be something that they're not. And what Jesus has in mind here, obviously, again from the context, is the false religion of the Pharisees. And all the hypocrites, not only Pharisees, but all those who were hypocritical in their service to God. And He commands us not to be like the hypocrites. Your righteousness, chapter 5, verse 20, must exceed that of the Pharisees because theirs is phony, hypocritical. They were pretenders. And so Jesus says, don't, don't be a, a pretender. When, when you have a, a log sticking out of your own eye, don't pretend that your vision is clear and that you're unaffected. And speak with condemnation to your brother. And he uses hyperbole, of course, in reference to the log. What a picture that is. We've all got, you know, from time to time, something in our eye and it irritates us. That's the idea of the speck. Your brother's got a speck in their eye, just some little, some little chip of wood or something that's irritating their eye. But you've got a beam in your eye. That ought to be noticeable, right? It ought to be obvious to us, to, to self. Jesus says, deal with that first. Don't be a, don't be a hypocrite. 
Recognize your own faults, your own sin. This is where the, the haughtiness comes in. We're to exercise judgment, right judgment, without hypocrisy, without haughtiness, without self-righteousness, without thinking that we're above anybody else. We can't be condescending. We esteem others better than ourselves. We must not see ourselves as better than anybody. Anybody. Like a plague, self-righteousness must be avoided. There is no holiness. And this is what, what we're seeing all the way through this sermon. Lessons on holiness. There is no holiness apart from humility. Remember the exhortation of James. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So don't be hypocritical. Don't judge. That is, don't be judgmental. Don't be hypercritical. And don't be hypocritical. Don't, don't have a wrong view of self. Remember the Beatitudes. The kingdom heir is poor in spirit, meek, a peacemaker. Thirdly, be discerning. Be discerning. That's just another way of saying judge. <laughs> so, so, on one hand, we're saying don't judge, and then almost immediately after, you must judge. And that's why I say it's clear the, the two things are are not the same. Same word, but not the same idea. Don't judge, verse 1, meaning don't be judgmental, but now we're instructed to be uh, discerning in the handling of the Gospel. For example, uh, do not give dogs what is holy or the holy thing. Do not give dogs what is holy. Now, the holy thing, the picture here is um, suggested by one commentator. Um, this makes sense to me. The, the picture here is of the priest doing this, performing the sacrifices. And they take the holy thing, what is designated to be offered to the Lord, the meat, and throw it to the dogs who are standing by, which was common in, in that culture. Uh, dogs weren't uh, viewed quite like they are in our culture today. You know, we, we, we love dogs and we, we go to great uh, trouble to take care of them and so forth. They, they're scavengers and that's the way they were, they were viewed. Do not give dogs what is holy or the holy thing. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. Pigs don't appreciate um, things of value. They're scavengers as well. And, of course, were uh, not well esteemed among the Jews because, for one thing, they were considered unclean. And it seems obvious, that, although it's, it's hard to play this out practically, but it seems obvious that Jesus is talking about the treasures of the kingdom, the gospel, the holy thing. Don't give the holy thing to the dogs. So, so what is he saying? There are certain people out there that, that you can't defile 
the holy thing with uh, at some point. Now, I can give you kind of a general uh, interpretation here of what I think that means, but again, playing it out is very difficult, and, and, uh, and I would suggest exercising extreme, extreme caution. I think the gospel, let me say this first, I think the gospel goes indiscriminately to everybody. We're commanded to preach to every creature. So initially, the gospel goes out to everybody. We don't pick and choose, or we shouldn't pick and choose, who we're going to preach the gospel message to. Everybody is in the same boat in this sense. We're all sinners. It doesn't matter if we uh, have good position in culture and society. It doesn't matter if we're rich or if we're poor. Our, our ethnicity doesn't matter. Everybody's in the same boat with God. We're sinners in need of God's grace. And so the gospel goes out indiscriminately to all. We preach the gospel to every creature. But it seems to me that this would suggest there may be a point with some to where they just continually, continually, and continually uh, not only reject it, but, um, but, but you know, just abhor it to the point that they are a blasphemous and so forth, to where, to where you just leave them alone. Now, Jesus did that with the Pharisees. In fact, I've often said, uh, with some of the Pharisees, in fact, I've often said that to me those are, are like some of the scariest words in the Bible. When Jesus said of the Pharisees, let them alone. And I promise you, that's, that's not what you want the Lord to say about you. It's not what I want the Lord to say about me. Let him alone. But, again, here's, here's the catch. Here's the tough part. Jesus knows the hearts of all men. And he looks, he looks on an individual. He knows their heart. He knows them, knows us far better than we know ourselves. And so he's able to do the very thing we're talking about here today. Right judgment. Righteous judgment. Jesus was able to make a right judgment without ever missing it. On the other hand, we're not able to do that. So again, I would say, this passage seems to me to suggest when somebody just continually refuses the gospel offer, there may be a time where you have to move on because there are other people that need to hear. And you may be, in a sense, wasting time and effort on this person when they have made it clear they don't want any part of it. But... Um, Again, I would exercise extreme, extreme caution in making that judgment. But it does show, doesn't it, the preciousness of the gospel message. It is to be valued. It's compared to, here to a pearl spoken of as the holy thing. The kingdom of God and the things of God are to be held as precious and valued. So Jesus says, don't give the holy thing to dogs. Are your pearls before swine? They'll just turn on you. Lest they trample them underfoot, uh, probably they're a reference to the pigs, and turn to attack you, probably they're a reference to the dogs. Uh, they turn on you, in other words, Jesus said. So don't be judgmental. Don't be hypocrites. 
but be discerning. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. You are not needlessly to provoke attack upon yourself or upon the higher truths of the gospel. You are not to judge, but you are not to act without judgment. Count not men to be dogs or swine, but when they avow themselves to be such, or by their conduct act as if they were such, do not put occasions in their way for displaying their evil character. Saints are not to be simpletons. They are not to be judges, but also they are not to be fools. So don't be judgmental, but be discerning and do it always, always with mercy. With mercy. Extending God's mercy. Being a conduit for God's mercy. Luke 6.36, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. When Jesus was condemned for uh, healing on the Sabbath, He responds in one place by saying, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In fact, twice He quotes that passage. That's Hosea 6.6. And twice Jesus quotes it. Matthew 9.13 and Matthew 12.7. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So don't be judgmental, condescending, hypercritical, self-righteous. The kingdom heirs are poor in spirit, meek, merciful, peacemakers. But be discerning. So be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. A few things here just by way of application. And this is, again, is what I've got in mind here. Judging righteously and, and then how to, how to carry that out. Let me say this. Just, uh, this. This is one of the things that, that astounds me about our day, and I'm sure does you too. Um, we, our, as a society, we, we are losing this ability to make a righteous judgment. And it's not a small thing. It, it, it affects every area of life in the, in the you know, smallest of details and in the largest. It is mind-boggling to me that a panel of judges... What human beings, period, but in this case it was men and women, judges, trained in the law, could make a decision to legalize the murder of unborn babies. And it's due to the fact that they were unable, obviously, to make a right or righteous judgment. <clears throat> I can give all kinds of reasons why, but it doesn't change the fact that there is a right and wrong 
It's not based upon consensus, you know, world consensus or, or the consensus of our own population. It's based upon absolute truth. And when, in fact, that's the core of the problem. When you throw out the idea of absolute truth, then everything becomes relative. And it opens the door for all manner of things. Just this past week, for example, and it was interesting in one sense because I'm going through these lectures. Well, we're doing a study on biblical manhood and womanhood in our Sunday school class, and then somewhat related to that, I'm also looking, I've been going through these lectures on marriage and the government's role. You know, should should the government regulate marriage? Um, the answer is yes. Yes, they should. Um, they're they're trying to get out of that responsibility now, uh, and just and just kind of open it up for everybody to decide themselves what marriage is. Um, it shouldn't be that way. But I'm I'm looking at these things, and then in the news this week, uh, I think for the most part unnoticed because of other events. We had a a, uh, a law passed uh, in the I forget what the year was. It's been several years ago. Uh, the Defense of Marriage Act, which made the federal government position on marriage, as far as definition, this that marriage is. Um, between one man and one woman. Now, the purpose of the law was, was simply this. Some, some states were legalizing same-sex marriage. And so this Defense of Marriage Act was passed, uh, at least in part, so that that view could not be forced on other states. I think we have about six states now that, that, uh, that recognize and legalize and are endorsing same-sex marriage. But... Under that law, you, you know, if, if a uh, same-sex couple were married, let's say, in, in one of those states, I think, I can't name them all, I think Hawaii and maybe uh, Connecticut and a few others, but if, if, some, if a same-sex couple were married in one of those states and then moved to Louisiana, Louisiana could say, we're not recognizing that and we're not giving you any of the benefits that belong to a married couple just because you're, you know, the state you were formerly in said you were married, we're not recognizing that. That's, that's essentially what the Defense of Marriage Act accomplishes, so that no other state is forced into that. It's the position, it's law, it's the position of the federal government. Um, this week, our, our president ordered the, the uh, Department of, of uh, Justice to not defend that law. Now, now that, their responsibility is to uphold the laws of this land. And they were ordered by the President, because there is a case pending in the Second uh, Circuit Court, they were ordered by the President to not defend the Defense of Marriage Act. And so they're not going to, which is probably going to mean that it's going to be overturned in the Second Circuit Court. And that's going to set a precedence. How do these decisions come about? I'm, I'm saying there's a failure 
to make a righteous or right judgment. Now, unfortunately, I mean, that's kind of an extreme case that's, that's, that I think is going to have a huge impact on our culture. But there are other ways in which that plays out in our own lives every single day on a personal level. Where I just, you know, make the wrong call and I, I fail to do what I should do. Or, or I fail to treat a brother and sister in Christ as I should. Or I fail to reach out with God's love and grace to uh, a lost person that needs to hear it. Whatever the case is. I mean, there are all kinds of ways this plays out. But we need to be able to exercise right judgment. Motivated by love. Motivated by love. Alright, so how, how to, how to, what are some things that would help in that way? I'm just suggest a few things by way of application here. Um, one is consider your past. Alright, when you're, especially when you're dealing, in other words, with lost people, remember that you were too at one time. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's, that's strong, isn't it? That's a black and white statement. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul goes on. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Strong stuff. Paul continues. And such were some of you. He's writing to the church, the church at Corinth. He says, don't be deceived, which, by the way, he's exercising judgment here in, in the right way. I mean, he's, he's calling uh, things as they are. He's telling the truth. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived about that, he says. But at the same time, he's not trying to encourage us, and he, and he gives a list here, of, of a, just, just some of the things, but he's not trying to encourage us to look down upon these people. He just wants us to know the seriousness of their state. The reality of it. Again, as Jesus is doing all through the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the reality of the kingdom and living that reality. There really are two realms, two kingdoms at odds with each other. The kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Christ, or the kingdom of God. And James says, to be friends with the world is to be the enemy of God. These things are reality. And God's grace is real. And our calling to display it to the world is real. We've got a responsibility to brothers and sisters in Christ and to those who are perishing to be conduits, conduits of the grace of God. To live it out before them, before them. To show them the reality of the kingdom. So Paul's not, not calling on the church of Corinth here to be self-righteous. Now, those people, those people, those people won't inherit the kingdom, but, but you're in. You're in. 
Don't worry about them. No, he says, such were some of you. He's reminding them that's where you came from. And he's reminding them of the difference now. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God, of our God. Where they are is where you came from. Consider, secondly, we've already alluded to this, so I won't spend much time here, but consider how you want to be judged. And I've already given you a couple of passages on that. In other words, you just treat others, and this is where we're going with this, by the way, golden rule. (laughs) You just treat others the way you want to be treated, right? Freely you've received, now freely give. God has dealt with us in mercy, so be merciful. Don't be judgmental. Consider your own weakness. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, first of all, let me say this. Even to, even to uh, recognize a situation like that calls for a certain kind of judgment, discernment. Brothers caught in a transgression, uh, those uh, other brothers have to, have to recognize that. Brothers or sisters, recognize that. But how do you handle it? Again, are, are, you, are we to be judgmental? Are we to uh, deal with them in a condescending manner? Are we to be self-righteous like the Pharisee and say, I thank you, God, that that's not me over there. That I'm not like that sinner. Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Consider your own weakness. Consider your own weakness. We're, We're all... Weak. Now that manifests in some different ways. Not everybody's an alcoholic or a drug addict. Not everybody um, loves to engage in gossip. We, we all have d- different types of faults. Our, and our weaknesses come to the surface in different ways, but we're all weak. Consider your own weakness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And lastly, be determined to edify others. Now, we talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. That's what we're here for. That's why we're here in this world. That's why we're here this morning as a church. To worship and to edify. Romans fourteen nineteen. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. Because we're peacemakers, right? Remember the Beatitudes? We're we're peacemakers. Let us pursue things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Paul says that's a pursuit of a Christian. That's something you focus on and you go after 
in your life. Pursue the things by which one may edify, that is, build up. Build up another. We, we want to be concerned with the spiritual maturity and, and growth of each other. Or I can say it this way, I think because this is true. Your spiritual growth, in part, is my responsibility. You say, well, of course it is, because you're the pastor. <laughs> no, I just mean just as a fellow Christian. It's, that's true of all of us. You, you can look at anybody in this room. Their spiritual growth is your responsibility, in part. Not totally, obviously, but, but in part. And so that should be a real concern. And you conduct yourself, I conduct myself accordingly, seeking the edification of others. Again, in Romans chapter 15, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. First Corinthians 14, 12. Um, Paul, dealing with the spiritual gifts, goes on to say that all things are to be done for the edification of the church. You seek to excel for the edification of the church, not for self-exaltation or something like that, but so that the whole body benefits. And this was Paul's goal in all things. 2 Corinthians twelve nineteen. He says, we speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Boy, how you see that play out in the life of Paul. <laughs> he talks about his suffering and he says, I, I, I do these things, I go through these things for the sake of the elect. God's people, God's chosen people. Everything he's doing is for their edification. This was the reason for Paul's authority. In the church. Second Corinthians 13.10 According to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. We touched on that this morning in Sunday school. God gave gifts, Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the edification, right? For the building up of the church. So those uh, offices which, which do uh, uh, are authoritative in nature... That authority is not so that they can lord over the church, so that they can build up the church. Ephesians 4.29. Well, this is a, a great one to uh, apply just about anywhere. Okay, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, to be judgmental, Matthew 7, 1, is, is the antithesis of what Paul is, is uh, describing as our responsibility there in Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the necessary edification. Impart grace to your hearers. So, 
Jesus is saying, Here, here's, here's the life of the kingdom heirs. It's a life of holiness. It's a life of genuine righteousness that flows out of the nature that He has given us. Don't be judgmental. Don't be hypocritical. You're, you're poor in spirit. You're meek. You're a peacemaker. You're not a pretender if you're truly saved. You're born again by the power of God and the Spirit of God is at work in you. Let all that you do be genuine. Move in all sincerity grounded in truth. And do all things out of love for one another. So we judge and we don't judge. Right? We're not judgmental, but we must use discernment in living out the Christian life. We have to be able to tell the dogs and the pigs from everybody else, as difficult as that is. We have to be able to tell the false prophets from the true I mean, we're exhorted to be diligent in those areas, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, test every spirit, discernment. And yet, it's all to be done in a spirit of meekness, selflessness, love for brothers and sisters in Christ, love for the world and a desire to see them saved and a desire to see God glorified in all that we do. Would you stand? So the next time someone says, a Christian is not supposed to judge, are they? (laughs) You say, well, depends on what you mean by that. We're certainly not to be judgmental. But we're certainly to exercise discernment for God's glory. David, do you mind leading us in a word of prayer and we'll dismiss? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.